0: would have bet anything that I would never be happy. I went to the best clinicians in the world and Lily was like, you can't help me. You're listening to the Bee Podcast. Make friends, learn new things, and feel understood. Now here's your host, Sage Lally. Hey
1: you, and welcome back to the Bee Podcast. I'm your host, Sage, and today I'm excited to be here with my friend, Sadie Sutton. Sadie is a 17-year-old high school senior and the voice behind She Persisted, a podcast on a mission to break down the stigma surrounding mental health and inspire teens and young adults to create a life worth living. Sadie's episodes offer DBT education, self-improvement tips, and vulnerable personal experiences about her time in intensive inpatient treatment. Sadie, I'm so excited you're here with us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on the show. Of course. So I know you've been through a lot for a 17-year-old. Can you give us a bit of your backstory?
0: Of course. So I am 17. I'm a senior in high school. I'm from the Bay Area. And I started my mental health journey in like sixth, seventh grade, so really young. And I started experiencing super severe depression. And then I also developed anxiety and all of these diagnoses were stacking up and it was getting worse and worse. And so something really unique about that kind of way of experiencing mental health was that I was so young. And so I really just couldn't remember a time when I wasn't depressed, when I wasn't struggling, when I didn't have a lot of hatred for myself and my life. And so I had this super firm mindset and belief that this was just what was in the cards for me. And yeah, other people could live lives that they loved. Other people could experience happiness and look forward to things. And I and I totally respected that. I totally understood that for other people. But for me, that just wasn't a thing. It just wasn't going to happen. And I had accepted that. I was okay with that. And I, again, so firmly believed that. So did tons of outpatient treatment around the Bay Area every single thing you can imagine for years and again things just weren't changing still depressed still anxious still a teenager really really struggling on a big scale and so halfway through my freshman year i went to intensive treatment but i went and lived in boston for four months at a residential program and then i lived in montana at a therapeutic boarding school for a year and three months so my high school education was a bit interrupted by this time in treatment and so while other kids were going to their school dances, going to homecoming, studying for midterms, like I was just doing this super intensive self-work and just trying to get to a point where I wanted to get up the next day and I, I could have relationships. Like I was completely redefining all these beliefs I'd held for my entire life. And so flash forward like a year and a half after I went to Boston and I, I in Boston the, was the first time I experienced waking up in the morning and not feeling depression. And that was life changing. But again, it was like, okay, this is like one day. How do I know this will stick? Like I didn't, I didn't believe it was real or that it was like really going to last. And so flash forward a year and a half. And I was like, this is lasting. This is sticking. I can go weeks without experiencing this debilitating depression. and I can navigate my relationships and not have six panic attacks a day. Like it was, it was a big shift from where I was at before. And so when I first entered treatment my dad had been like Sadie you should record this journey how many other teenagers are are doing this kind of thing it's going to be so impactful and i was like no i'm not dad stop like i hated my parents like um not just the teenage angst but like to another degree i blamed them for my suffering hated them and so i was like absolutely not and so a year and a half later i was like huh maybe he's onto something because if i this person that had this extraordinarily strong belief system that i treatment wouldn't work i didn't deserve to be happy like i would have bet anything that i would never be happy i went to the dbt experts in boston and said this it doesn't work i already tried it (laughs) like i went to the best clinicians in the world and lily was like you can't help me and so if i this person had had this extraordinarily strong belief system and suffered so much on such a severe degree could experience this change and rewire those belief systems and, and begin to live a life that I loved, then anyone could do it. And so I wanted to share that story. And I wanted to, at first, just tell parents, friends, teachers, all those kinds of people that surround or in the community of the person who's struggling, what to look for, how to support someone who's going through that. What can you say? What can you do? What is going on inside their head? When I first started the podcast, I don't think I've ever talked about this before, but I wanted to call it In My Head because that was what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to to tell people what was going on in there when I was shut down for four years. And so there was already a podcast called In My Head, so I just switched that
1: up. I love it. And I love the name She Persisted. What was the story behind that name? And how did you come up with it? For
0: the year that I was in Montana, when my parents went to look at therapeutic boarding schools, they were in this little ski town in Whitefish, Montana. And there's one of those little trinket shops that have all the shirts and mugs and pins with all those quotes on it and like funny signs that are like, "Brows are there for you because they're supportive, like stuff like that, like really stupid quotes. And there was this shirt that said, nevertheless, she persisted. And my dad saw that shirt and he started, he was like, wow, like this is if I've ever seen something that is indicative of Sadie in this growth, it's this quote, which is that she's been through so much at such a young age, and struggled more than more than any teenager should have to. And yet she persisted through that. And so he sent me the, the shirt with this message and like, ended it with PS. Nevertheless, she persisted. And this was when I was still in Boston. So a couple of months, not even a couple of months, a couple of weeks later, I went and started in Montana. And that P.S. Nevertheless, She Persisted, it really just stuck. And so every single time my dad and I would write a note to each other on the Google Doc, how we communicated, or I wrote a letter to him, I would end it and he would end it with P.S. Nevertheless, She Persisted of just that reminder that I I had been through, through worlds of self-growth and lifetimes of suffering. And and yet I persisted and I made it through it and I kept going. And it was that reminder that he
1: saw that. I love it. I would love to hear a little bit more about your experience in treatment.
0: Yeah. So I was someone who tried everything locally. Getting sent away really was a last resort as it is for many families. It's just so disruptive and you lose having your child at home and it's just no one wants that to happen. And so I did everything at home. I did the outpatient DBT three times through. I did individual therapy. I did family therapy. I did CBT. I had a couple stays at the hospital. I did intensive outpatient programs like everything you can imagine I tried. And so, and it wasn't working. It really, really wasn't working. And so, halfway through my freshman year, I was in this position where because things weren't working, I didn't have a lot of local options. I couldn't go back to doing outpatient DBT because that we weren't seeing changes and I wouldn't have been a good idea for me to do less treatment than outpatient DBT. So my parents started researching every single residential that they could find and trying to find something that was evidence based and effective and that they had complete confidence would help me. Um, in this severe state of depression and anxiety and isolation and just suffer. And so I learned about a week before I left that I was going to be living in Boston for the next four to six weeks was their average length of stay. And so that was the that was really, really tough knowing that I was entering and going through the motions of high school my freshman year. But I wouldn't be there a week from now to turn in the assignments. And I wouldn't be there a week from now for any of that and my life was just going to be gone i was going to be in this foreign place which when i googled it i was terrified because the hospital that i went to was the same hospital that girl interrupted is based off of and it used to be it used to be an asylum um and so i was like great great i'm really scared like mom dad what are you doing to me um and they're an amazing program they they've been around for so long which is why they have all these amazing facilities um And yes, they've been there since uh, mental health hospitals were asylums. Um, But anyways, regardless. So I was terrified. Um, I I knew I had to go. I knew it wasn't a choice, but I didn't want to be there. And I didn't think it would work. So I got there. I go into the intake meeting. There's like 10 clinicians around me, all the psychiatrists, all the therapists, all sitting there with their little clipboards. And my parents were in the room. We'd just flown with all my belongings from California to Boston and they're like, okay, Sadie, um, do you want your parents in the room or do you want them to leave? And I was like, they can leave. I kicked them out as soon as I could. I was like, I don't want them here. Um, that was just how damaged and fractured our relationship was at that point. And so they, the doctors asked me, this one man who I had on my podcast, his name is Blaise Aguirre. Um, and he said, Sadie, do you want to, do you want to be here? And I said, no, I have to be here. I can't do outpatient. I can't do therapy at home. Like I don't have a choice. And so they were like, so here's the thing. This is a voluntary program, which means you have to want to be here and you have to be the one to choose to want to do the work. So we'll give you the time to think about it and see if you can find the wisdom and trusting us and doing this DVT program and giving it your all and believing that it will work. If you decide that this is the place you wanna be, then you can stay here and we can help you to the best that we know how. And if not, you can go somewhere where your parents can sign on the dot of the line and you don't have to have a say in it. And I took the night to think about it and I saw the wisdom. I asked them all these questions, like how is this different from what I did at home? How do you know this will help me? I've already done this. How is this different? Um, and and overall, like the what they kept reinforcing was this is evidence-based. We see hundreds of girls every single year and we have the results um, that are supported by dialectical behavioral therapy. We, we know what we're doing and we can help you. And we know that you're so hopeless and we know what you're going through. And it doesn't have to be like that. And, and so it took that leap of faith, that, that trust, and that for the first time choosing to believe in treatment for me. I wasn't just going to therapy appointments because I had to because my parents said so. I wasn't in the hospital because I wasn't unsafe, and legally that was what had to happen. I was doing this program and giving it my all because I, I believed it would work. I trusted the doctors, and I was choosing to do this for myself.
1: That's awesome. So for our listeners who might be in a similar place where they're kind of pre-treatment Sadie, a little bit, stuck, feeling depressed, anxious, dealing with any type of mental health problem, do you have kind of three tips that our listeners can take and apply to improve their mental health, whatever that struggle may be for them?
0: Of course. So my first, my first tip is what I implemented before I did any of the deep self-work that allowed me to become not depressed, and that was regulating my sleep. When we are not sleeping well, when we're not rested, when our brain cannot properly reset and manage those emotions, we're going to be so much more emotionally vulnerable, so much more susceptible to depression, anxiety, conflict, any of that. You're just you're, you're setting yourself up for failure in a way, especially if you are experiencing depression or anxiety, you're just going to be so much more sensitive to that lack of sleep. And so managing your sleep. And I know that insomnia, that was another thing that I didn't mention, but I would go days without sleeping. That was the first thing that I did at McLean, which was regulate my sleep, and that was when I saw that change of, I'm not as depressed, I'm not as anxious, I can kind of work through these things now. So get your sleep on track, and if you want an in-depth explanation of how to do that, you can head over to my podcast. Um, So first thing, sleep. And of course, along with that, I would say, like, make sure you're eating well and exercising and just take care of your physical health. The next thing is to... Get in the headspace where you want to see change for you. Again, going back to that moment at McLean when for the first time I chose to work on myself and trust that things could be different for me. I don't care what kind of treatment you're in. You can be at McLean, but like 70 times more intensive. If you still don't believe that things can change and that you deserve happiness or success, things won't change for you. Um you can go through the motions but there will be no lasting difference unless you choose that you want to improve your mental health because you can cultivate enough self-compassion to want that for you. So the second thing is no matter how you how you have to do that whether it's researching and becoming educated about how life can be that was something I was lacking I didn't realize that my life could be different or maybe it's writing down that life worth living whatever that means for you, um, developing that, that want for an improved mental health for you. And then the third thing is connection. The cure to, to depression is connection. And of course, there's more that goes into that. But depression isolates us. Anxiety isolates us and tells us to run away. If we can do the opposite and become connected, whether it's with your parents, your friends, your your clinicians talking to someone telling them what's going on inside your head it just it just takes off so much pressure and they're not going to solve your problems for you they're not going to tell you how how to get through it but suddenly you're not alone and you're not fighting this all by yourself you have people there to support you but they're not going to do it for you which again i want to remind you so one take care of your physical health Two, find the enough self-love to want your life to look different and third is connect with people around you. Tell them what's going on. Say you're not okay because that's the hardest thing you'll go through. And I still stand by that, which was that first time when I was like, I I'm 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 depressed and I and I can't solve this myself. I don't know how to solve this. I've dug myself into this hole that I don't know how to get out of. And it's really scary. And I wish it was different and and I'm not okay. And yes, that makes me imperfect as a human and it makes me weak, but I'm I'm not okay and I need help. And everything after that first step of accepting you're not okay and and facing that fear of saying that for the first time, genuinely, it gets easier.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. I am so grateful for your story. I love your podcast. And if you're listening and you haven't heard it, definitely go check it out. Before you go, I would love if you could tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet. Of
0: course. So... My podcast can be found on all listening platforms. Just look up She Persisted. And then you can find my podcast on Instagram at, at She Persisted Podcast. You could go to my website, ShePersistedPodcast.com. And yeah, just follow along with my journey and the work I'm doing and just learn how to really take control of your life. Thank you for listening to The Bee Podcast with your host, Sage Lally. If you liked today's episode, be sure to leave us a review. And of course, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Your story has the power to help others. If you step out in boldness and have the bravery to tell it, there are people here who will listen. You just have to speak. That's all for now. See you next time. Bye.